Section thirty four of Rights of Man by Thomas Paine. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Edward Kirkby, Warwick, England. Part second, chapter five Ways and Means of Improving the Condition of Europe. Part six of seven. There are two classes of people to whom the laws of England are particularly hostile, and those the most helpless younger children and the poor of the former i have just spoken of the latter i shall mention one instance out of the many that might be produced and with which i shall close this subject several laws are in existence for regulating and limiting workmen's wages why not leave them as free to make their own bargains as the lawmakers are to let their farms and houses personal labour is all the property they have why is that little and the little freedom they enjoy to be infringed but the injustice will appear stronger if we consider the operation and effect of such laws when wages are fixed by what is called a law the legal wages remain stationary while everything else is in progression and as those who make that law still continue to lay on new taxes by other laws they increase the expense of living by one law and take away the means by another but if these gentlemen lawmakers and tax-makers thought it right to limit the poor pittance which personal labour can produce and on which a whole family is to be supported they certainly must feel themselves happily indulged in a limitation on their own part of not less than twelve thousand a year and that a property they never acquired nor probably any of their ancestors and of which they have made never acquire so ill a use having now finished this subject i shall bring the several particulars into one view and then proceed to other matters the first eight articles mentioned earlier are one abolition of two millions poor rates two provision for two hundred and fifty two thousand poor families at the rate of four pounds per head for each child under fourteen years of age which with the addition of two hundred and fifty thousand pounds provides also education for one million and thirty thousand children three annuity of six pounds per annum each for all poor persons decayed tradesmen and others supposed seventy thousand of the age of fifty years and until sixty four annuity of ten pounds each for life for all poor persons decayed tradesmen and others supposed seventy thousand of the age of sixty years five donation of twenty shillings each for fifty thousand births six donation of twenty shillings each for twenty thousand marriages seven allowance of twenty thousand pounds for the funeral expenses of persons travelling for work and dying at a distance from their friends eight employment at all times for the casual poor in the cities of london and westminster second enumeration nine abolition of the tax on houses and windows ten allowance of three shillings per week for life to fifteen thousand disbanded soldiers 
and a proportionate allowance to the officers of the disbanded corps eleven increase of pay to the remaining soldiers of nineteen thousand five hundred pounds annually twelve the same allowance to the disbanded navy and the same increase of pay as to the army thirteen abolition of the commutation tax fourteen plan of a progressive tax operating to extirpate the unjust and unnatural law of primogeniture and the vicious influence of the aristocratical system there yet remains as already stated one million of surplus taxes some part of this will be required for circumstances that do not immediately present themselves and such part as shall not be wanted will admit of a further reduction of taxes equal to that amount among the claims that justice requires to be made the condition of the inferior revenue officers will merit attention it is a reproach to any government to waste such an immensity of revenue in sinecures and nominal and unnecessary places and offices and not allow even a decent livelihood to those on whom the labour falls the salary of the inferior officers of the revenue has stood at the petty pittance of less than fifty pounds a year for upwards of one hundred years it ought to be seventy about one hundred and twenty thousand pounds applied to this purpose will put all those salaries in a decent condition this was proposed to be done almost twenty years ago but the treasury board then in being startled at it as it might lead to similar expectations from the army and navy and the event was that the king or somebody for him applied to parliament to have his own salary raised an hundred thousand pounds a year which being done everything else was laid aside with respect to another class of men the inferior clergy i forbear to enlarge on their condition but all partialities and prejudices for or against different modes and forms of religion aside common justice will determine whether there ought to be an income of twenty or thirty pounds a year to one man and of ten thousand to another i speak on this subject with the more freedom because i am known not to be a presbyterian and therefore the cant cry of court sycophants about church and meeting kept up to amuse and bewilder the nation cannot be raised against me ye simple men on both sides the question do you not see through this courtly craft if ye can be kept disputing and wrangling about church and meeting ye just answer the purpose of every courtier who lives the while on the spoils of the taxes and laughs at your credulity every religion is good that teaches man to be good and i know of none that instructs him to be bad all the before-mentioned calculations suppose only sixteen millions and a half of taxes paid in to the exchequer after the expense of collection and drawbacks at the custom-house and excise office are deducted whereas the sum paid into the exchequer is very nearly if not quite seventeen millions 
the taxes raised in scotland and ireland are expended in those countries and therefore their savings will come out of their own taxes but if any part be paid into the english exchequer it might be remitted this will not make one hundred thousand pounds a year difference there now remains only the national debt to be considered in the year 1789, the interest, exclusive of the Tontine, was £9,150,138. How much the capital has been reduced since that time, the minister best knows. But after paying the interest, abolishing the tax on houses and windows, the commutation tax and the poor rates, and making all the provisions for the poor, for the education of children, the support of the aged, the disbanded part of the army and navy, and increasing the pay of the remainder, there will be a surplus of one million. The present scheme of paying off the national debt appears to me, speaking as an indifferent person, to be an ill-concerted, if not a fallacious job. The burthen of the national debt consists not in its being so many millions, or so many hundred millions, but in the quantity of taxes collected every year to pay the interest. If this quantity continues the same, the burthen of the national debt is the same to all intents and purposes, be the capital more or less. The only knowledge which the public can have of the reduction of the debt must be through the reduction of taxes for paying the interest. The debt, therefore, is not reduced one farthing to the public by all the millions that have been paid and it would require more money now to purchase up the capital than when the scheme began. Digressing for a moment at this point, to which I shall return again, I look back to the appointment of Mr. Pitt as Minister. I was then in America. The war was over, and though resentment had ceased, memory was still alive. When the news of the coalition arrived, though it was a matter of no concern too, I felt it as a man. It had something in it which shocked, by publicly sporting with decency, if not with principle. It was impudence in Lord North. It was a want of firmness in Mr. Fox. Mr. Pitt was at that time what may be called a maiden character in politics. So far from being hackneyed, he appeared not to be initiated into the first mysteries of court intrigue everything was in his favour resentment against the coalition served as friendship to him and his ignorance of vice was credited for virtue with the return of peace commerce and prosperity would rise of itself yet even this increase was thrown to his account when he came to the helm the storm was over and he had nothing to interrupt his course it required even ingenuity to be wrong, and he succeeded. A little time showed him the same sort of man as his predecessors had been. Instead of profiting by those errors which had accumulated a burthen of taxes unparalleled in the world, he sought, I might almost say, he advertised for enemies, and provoked means to increase taxation. Aiming at something he knew not what, he ransacked Europe and India for adventures, 
and abandoning the fair pretensions he began with, he became the knight-errant of modern times. It is unpleasant to see character throw itself away. It is more so to see oneself deceived. Mr. Pitt had merited nothing, but he promised much. He gave symptoms of a mind superior to the meanness and corruption of courts. His apparent candour encouraged expectations, and the public confidence, stunned, wearied, and confounded by a chaos of parties, revived and attached itself to him. But mistaking, as he has done, the disgust of the nation against the coalition for merit in himself, he has rushed into measures which a man less supported would not have presumed to act. All this seems to show that change of ministers amounts to nothing. One goes out, another comes in, and still the same measures, vices, and extravagance are pursued. It signifies not who is minister. The defect lies in the system. The foundation and the superstructure of the government is bad. Prop it as you please, it continually sinks into court government, and ever will. I return, as I promised, to the subject of the national debt, that offspring of the Dutch Anglo Revolution and its handmaid, the Hanover Succession. But it is now too late to inquire how it began. Those to whom it is due have advanced the money, and whether it was well or ill spent or pocketed is not their crime. It is, however, easy to see that as the nation proceeds in contemplating the nature and principles of government, and to understand taxes and make comparisons between those of America, France, and England, it will be next to impossible to keep it in the same torpid state it has hitherto been. Some reform must, from the necessity of the case, soon begin. It is not whether these principles press with little or much force in the present moment. They are out, they are abroad in the world, and no force can stop them. Like a secret told, they are beyond recall, and he must be blind indeed that does not see that a change is already beginning. Nine millions of dead taxes is a serious thing and this not only for bad, but in a great measure for foreign government. By putting the power of making war into the hands of the foreigners who came for what they could get, little else was to be expected than what has happened. Reasons are already advanced in this work, showing that whatever the reforms in the taxes may be, they ought to be made in the current expenses of government, and not in the part applied to the interest of the national debt. By remitting the taxes of the poor, they will be totally relieved, and all discontent will be taken away. And by striking off such other taxes as are already mentioned, the nation will more than recover the whole expense of the mad American war. There will then remain only the national debt as a subject of discontent, and in order to remove, or rather to prevent this, it would be good policy in the stockholders themselves to consider it as property, subject like all other property, to bear some portion of the taxes. 
it would give it to both popularity and security and as a great part of its present inconvenience is balanced by the capital which it keeps alive a measure of this kind would so far add to that balance as to silence objections this may be done by such gradual means as to accomplish all that is necessary with the greatest ease and convenience instead of taxing the capital the best method would be to tax the interest by some progressive ratio and to lessen the public taxes in the same proportion as the interest diminished suppose the interest was taxed one half penny in the pound the first year a penny more the second and to proceed by a certain ratio to be determined upon always less than any other tax upon property such a tax would be subtracted from the interest at the time of payment without any expense of collection one half penny in the pound would lessen the interest and consequently the taxes twenty thousand pounds the tax on wagons amounts to this sum and this tax might be taken off the first year the second year the tax on female servants or some other of the like amount might also be taken off and by proceeding in this manner always applying the tax raised from the property of the debt towards its extinction and not carry it to the current services it would liberate itself the stockholders notwithstanding this tax would pay less taxes than they do now what they would save by the extinction of the poor rates and the tax on houses and windows and the commutation tax would be considerably greater than what this tax slow but certain in its operation amounts to it appears to me to be prudence to look out for measures that may apply under any circumstances that may approach there is at this moment a crisis in the affairs of europe that requires it preparation now is wisdom if taxation be once let loose it will be difficult to reinstate it neither would the relief be so effectual as if it proceeded by some certain and gradual reduction the fraud hypocrisy and imposition of governments are now beginning to be too well understood to promise them any long career the farce of monarchy and aristocracy in all countries is following that of chivalry and mr burke is dressing aristocracy in all countries is following that of chivalry and mr burke is dressing for the funeral let it then pass quietly to the tomb of all other follies and the mourners be comforted the time is not very distant when england will laugh at itself for sending to holland hanover zell or brunswick for men at the expense of a million a year who understood neither her laws her language nor her interest and whose capacities would scarcely have fitted them for the office of a parish constable if government could be trusted to such hands it must be some easy and simple thing indeed and materials fit for all the purposes may be found in every town and village in england when it shall be said in any country in the world my poor are happy neither ignorance nor distress is to be found among them my jails are empty of prisoners my streets of beggars the aged are not in want the taxes are not oppressive the rational world is my friend because i am the friend of its happiness 
when these things can be said then may that country boast its constitution and its government within the space of a few years we have seen two revolutions those of america and france in the former the contest was long and the conflict severe in the latter the nation acted with such a consolidated impulse that having no foreign enemy to contend with the revolution was complete in power the moment it appeared from both those instances it is evident that the greatest forces that can be brought into the field of revolutions are reason and common interest where these can have the opportunity of acting opposition dies with fear or crumbles away by conviction it is a great standing which they have now universally obtained and we may hereafter hope to see revolutions or changes in governments produced with the same quiet operation by which any measure determinable by reason and discussion is accomplished when a nation changes its opinion and habits of thinking it is no longer to be governed as before but it would not only be wrong but bad policy to attempt by force what ought to be accomplished by reason rebellion consists in forcibly opposing the general will of a nation whether by a party or by a government there ought, therefore, to be in every nation a method of occasionally ascertaining the state of public opinion with respect to government. On this point, the old government of France was superior to the present government of England, because on extraordinary occasions recourse could be had what was then called the States-General. But in England there are no such occasional bodies and as to those who are now called representatives a great part of them are mere machines of the court placemen and dependents i presume that though all the people of england pay taxes not an hundredth part of them are electors and the members of one of the houses of parliament represent nobody but themselves there is therefore no power but the voluntary will of the people that has a right to act in any matter respecting a general reform and by the same right that two persons can confer on such a subject a thousand may the object in all such preliminary proceedings is to find out what the general sense of a nation is and to be governed by it if it prefer a bad or defective government to a reform or choose to pay ten times more taxes than there is any occasion for it has a right so to do and so long as the majority do not impose conditions on the minority different from what they impose upon themselves though there may be much error there is no injustice neither will the error continue long reason and discussion will soon bring things right however wrong they may begin by such a process no tumult is to be apprehended the poor in all countries are naturally both peaceable and grateful in all reforms in which their interest and happiness is included it is only by neglecting and rejecting them that they become tumultuous the objects that now press on the public attention are the French Revolution and the prospect of a general revolution in governments. Of all nations in Europe, there is none so much interested in the French Revolution as England. 
enemies for ages and that at a vast expense and without any national object the opportunity now presents itself of amicably closing the scene and joining their efforts to reform the rest of europe by doing this they will not only prevent the further effusion of blood and increase of taxes but be in a condition of getting rid of a considerable part of their present burthens as has been already stated long experience however has shown that reforms of this kind are not those which old governments wish to promote and therefore it is to nations and not to such governments that these matters present themselves in the preceding part of this work i have spoken of an alliance between england france and america for purposes that were to be afterwards mentioned though i have no direct authority on the part of america i have good reason to conclude that she is disposed to enter into a consideration of such a measure provided that the governments with which she might ally acted as national governments and not as courts enveloped in intrigue and mystery that france as a nation and a national government would prefer an alliance with england is a matter of certainty nations like individuals who have long been enemies without knowing each other or knowing why become the better friends when they discover the errors and impositions under which they had acted admitting therefore the probability of such a connection i will state some matters by which such an alliance together with that of holland might render service not only to the parties immediately concerned but to all europe it is i think certain that if the fleets of england france and holland were confederated they could propose with effect a limitation to and a general dismantling of all the navies in europe to a certain proportion to be agreed upon first that no new ship of war should be built by any power in europe themselves included second that all the navies now in existence shall be put back supposed to one-tenth of their present force this will save to france and england at least two million sterling annually to each and their relative force be in the same proportion as it is now if men will permit themselves to think as rational beings ought to think nothing can appear more ridiculous and absurd exclusive of all moral reflections than to be at the expense of building navies filling them with men and then hauling them into the ocean to try which can sink each other fastest peace which costs nothing is attended with infinitely more advantage than any victory with all its expense but this though it best answers the purpose of nations does not that of court governments whose habited policy is pretence for taxation places and offices it is i think also certain that the above confederated powers together with that of the united states of america can propose with effect to spain the independence of south america and the opening those countries of immense extent and wealth to the general commerce of the world as north america now is with how much more glory and advantage to itself does a nation act when it exerts its powers to rescue the world from bondage and to create itself friends than when it employs those powers to increase ruin desolation and misery 
the horrid scene that is now acting by the english government in the east indies is fit only to be told of goths and vandals who destitute of principle robbed and tortured the world they were incapable of enjoying the opening of south america would produce an immense field of commerce and a ready money market for manufacturers which the eastern world does not the east is already a country full of manufacturers the importation of which is not only an injury to the manufacturers of england but a drain upon its specie the balance against england by this trade is regularly upwards of half a million annually sent out in the east india ships in silver and this is the reason together with german intrigue and german subsidies that there is so little silver in england but any war is harvest to such governments however ruinous it may be to a nation it serves to keep up deceitful expectations which prevent people from looking into the defects and abuses of government it is the low here and the low there that amuses and cheats the multitude never did so great an opportunity offer itself to england and to all europe as is produced by the two revolutions of america and france by the former freedom has a national champion in the western world and by the latter in europe when another nation shall join france despotism and bad government will scarcely dare to appear to use a trite expression the iron is becoming hot all over europe the insulted german and the enslaved spaniard the russ and the pole are beginning to think the present age will hereafter merit to be called the age of reason and the present generation will appear to the future as the adam of a new world when all the governments of europe shall be established on the representative system nations will become acquainted and the animosities and prejudices fermented by the intrigue and artifice of courts will cease the oppressed soldier will become a free man and the tortured sailor no longer dragged through the streets like a felon will pursue his mercantile voyage in safety it would be better that nations should continue the pay of their soldiers during their lives and give them their discharge and restore them to freedom and their friends and cease recruiting than retain such multitudes at the same expense in a condition useless to society and to themselves as soldiers have hitherto been treated in most countries they might be said to be without a friend shunned by the citizen on an apprehension of their being enemies to liberty and too often insulted by those who commanded them their condition was a double oppression but where genuine principles of liberty pervade a people everything is restored to order and the soldier civilly treated returns the civility in contemplating revolutions it is easy to perceive that they may arise from two distinct causes the one to avoid or get rid of some great calamity the other to obtain some great and positive good and the two may be distinguished by the names of active and passive revolutions in those which proceed from the former cause the temper becomes incensed and soured and the redress obtained by danger is too often sullied by revenge 
but in those which proceed from the latter the heart rather animated than agitated enters serenely upon the subject reason and discussion persuasion and conviction become the weapons in the contest and it is only when those are attempted to be suppressed that recourse is had to violence when men unite in agreeing that a thing is good could it be obtained such for instance as relief from a burden of taxes and the extinction of corruption the object is more than half accomplished what they prove as the end they will promote in the means will any man say in the present excess of taxation falling so heavily on the poor that a remission of five pounds annually of taxes to one hundred and four thousand poor families is not a good thing Will he say that a remission of seven pounds annually to one hundred thousand other poor families, of eight pounds annually to another hundred thousand poor families, and of ten pounds annually to fifty thousand poor and widowed families, are not good things? And to proceed a step further in this climax, will he say that to provide against the misfortunes to which all human life is subject by securing six pounds annually for all poor, distressed and reduced persons of the age of fifty until sixty, and of ten pounds annually after sixty, is not a good thing? Will he say that an abolition of two millions of poor rates to the housekeepers, and of the whole of the house and window light tax, and of the commutation tax is not a good thing? Or will he say that to abolish corruption is a bad thing? If, therefore, the good to be obtained be worthy of a passive, rational, and costless revolution, it would be bad policy to prefer waiting for a calamity that should force a violent one. I have no idea considering the reforms which are now passing and spreading throughout europe that england will permit herself to be the last and were the occasion and the opportunity quietly offer it is better than to wait for a turbulent necessity it may be considered as an honour to the animal faculties of man to obtain redress by courage and danger but it is far greater honour to the rational faculties to accomplish the same object by reason accommodation and general consent as reforms or revolutions call them which you please extend themselves among nations those nations will form connections and conventions and when a few are thus confederated the progress will be rapid till despotism and corrupt government be totally expelled at least out of two quarters of the world europe and america the algerine piracy may then be commanded to cease for it is only by the malicious policy of old governments against each other that it exists end of part second chapter five ways and means of improving the condition of europe part six of seven read by edward kirkby warwick england